Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Sometimes people sin and they're doing horrific things. They're concealing it. Nobody really knows what's going on. They think they're getting away with it. But be sure your sins will find you out. And one of the things that will always be there is that internal agitation, the lack of peace, because there can be no peace for those who are at war with their maker. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 48 through 49. Oh, now, that you Pastor had Brian. heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And so here God is really just grieving in a sense over what has happened to the people because it shouldn't have happened. It wasn't God's plan for it to happen. And and yet they're in captivity. They've gone through this severe judgment and life is horrific for them. It was horrific and it wasn't, you know, a, a cakewalk under living in the captivity in Babylon. But yet what the Lord is saying basically is they brought all of this upon themselves. It was never God's intention because had they heeded his command, he said to them, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And, you know, this is something that we should pause and just think about ourselves for a moment too, because God's intention for us is good. His plan for us is good. And the way we experience the good life, the blessed life, is by taking heed to his commandments. Now, there's nobody that has lived in obedience to God's word who looks back and regrets it. <laughs> People who live in obedience to God's word, they, they look upon their lives and they are thankful that through that obedience, blessing has come. And, and that's the way it works. God's given us his word. And he, of course, he expects us to do it, to obey him. And as John tells us in his first letter, his commandments are not burdensome. You know, God gives us commands in order to protect us, in order to preserve us, in order to bless and prosper us. And so as we walk with him, now, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that we don't have problems. Doesn't mean that we don't go through seasons of difficulty or trial. But, but those are different than self-inflicted wounds that come as a result of disobeying what God has said. And that was Israel's state. They never should have gone into captivity. As you go back into the scriptures in the early stages of their deliverance from Egypt, and you have all of these promises that God gives to them. I'm taking you to this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where you're going to inherit houses that you didn't build and fields, that vineyards that you didn't plant. And basically God's just saying, I've got this great life for you. There's one condition. Do what I say, obey me, keep my laws. And, and so 
they weren't meant to be a burden to the people. They were meant to be a protection. And so this is true for us today. When God tells us to not do certain things, when God tells us to you know, stay away from behaviors and substances and, and things of that nature, he's not doing that to put a burden on us. He's doing that to protect us because God knows that these things are destructive. And, you know, sin is, is a deceptive thing. The Bible refers to the deceitfulness of sin. And what does that mean? It means that sin fools you, tricks you, makes you think that it's actually somehow going to be beneficial to you. Sin always promises what it can never deliver. It promises happiness. It promises fulfillment. It promises joy. It promises peace. It promises, you know, all of these things but it actually never can deliver any of them. It delivers really just the opposite. It promises freedom, but it delivers bondage. It brings people into captivity and it promises life and it brings death. And so God's commandments are not to restrict us. Like I said, they are to protect us and just like Israel, just as the Lord says here, oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. What a, what a beautiful picture. Peace like a river. Have you ever seen a, a river that's just, you know, not, not a raging river, but, a, but a, a place where there's just a calmness and uh, a river can be so calming itself. You can sometimes just stand on the bank of a river or maybe nearby on a bridge overlooking a river or something like that. And, and it's just, it's peaceful. Um, I used to live by the River Thames in London. And it was just a few minute walk from our house. And it was a place where we would go and we would walk and just walking along the River Thames, it was peaceful. And I think of that when I read this peace like a river, but then your righteousness like the waves of the sea. What does that mean? Well, I was thinking about the waves of the sea, how the waves just keep rolling in. And, you know, waves are created by wind way out, you know, in the oceans. But when that wind stirs up a swell and, and there are these times when you will get these waves that just pound the beach, just wave after wave after wave, and uh, growing up as a surfer, we call those waves that they come in, they come in sets. And um, there's usually a set that comes in with a number of waves in it, depending on the, the size of the swell and the power of the swell. And then there's a lull, there's a pause between the sets. And that's good for surfers because that means you can get out to the break uh, without getting pulverized <laughs> by the waves. But then, you know, the set, the next set comes in and the waves come rolling in. But, you know, I've seen times where the swell has been so strong and so consistent that there's no pause between the sets. It just keeps going wave after wave after wave. And when the Lord speaks of your righteousness being like the waves of the sea, he's just talking about that steady, just that consistent, that continuous rolling in of the waves. That's the kind of righteousness that God brings to those who 
heed his commands. So as God's people today, let's be obedient. Let's do what the Lord says to do. And remember, it's not a burden. God has not put these things on us to stifle us or to strap us or to, you know, hold us back from some good thing. No, he knows that these things are harmful. And so he's instructed us how to live. And he promises peace like a river and righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body, like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. So again, that's a lament by the Lord himself at what has happened to Israel in comparison to what God intended for them. So go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That is a statement of fact. There is no peace for the wicked. That is uh, a reality that is true across the board. There is no peace for the wicked. And I think of the passage also in Numbers, you know, be sure your sins will find you out. You know, some, sometimes people sin and they're, they're doing horrific things. They're concealing it. Nobody really knows what's going on. They think they're getting away with it, but be sure your sins will find you out. And one of the things that will always be there is that that internal agitation, the lack of peace, because there can be no peace for those who are at war with their maker. So now, so notice here, I want you to notice that as we transition to chapter 49. So the Lord is speaking and he says, there's no peace for the wicked. And then once again, as, as I've said, we've seen this many times over in these chapters here in the 40s, the Lord calling the people to listen. Listen, O coastlands, to me and take heed, you people from afar. And now this is so fascinating. Listen to the message. The Lord has called me from the womb. So the Lord is speaking, God is speaking, and God is saying that Yahweh, the Lord, has called me from the womb. So here again, we see here in Isaiah the, a reference to the incarnation. And remember, it was Isaiah who also had prophesied back in the seventh chapter that the virgin would conceive and bear a son and you would call his name God with us. So here we are now, further into Isaiah. And, and once again, now the messianic message reemerges. And so the Lord has called me from the womb, from the innermost parts of my mother, the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. Think of that. If you think about the Christmas story, remember as Mary is, she supernaturally conceives 
And remember what the, what the angel Gabriel says to Joseph. He tells Joseph that Mary has conceived a child of the Holy Spirit and you shall call his name Jesus. So this is exactly what the prophecy said, that from the matrix, he made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. He has hidden me. So he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. So, of course, you think of the ministry of Jesus and his ministry was a ministry of the word. Of course, he was the word incarnate, but he comes and he he is the, he's the prophet. He's the voice of the Lord. And so he said to me, so Yahweh said to me, you are my servant, O Israel. So maybe you remember a few studies back, we talked about how Israel, the context in Isaiah will determine if Israel is the nation collectively or if it is the one true Israelite who is the Messiah. And in this case, it's crystal clear that this is not a reference at all to the nation, just like in chapter 42, it's not a reference to the nation. And it's so clear here because the mission of this one who is referred to as Israel is to redeem Israel. So we see clearly that this is not the nation collectively, but this is the individual person. And remember the name Israel means, it's hard, it's hard to get an exact definition, but the idea is a prince with God or someone who has favor with the Lord. So Israel is, is that favored one. And so Jesus, of course, is an Israelite, but he embodies in himself, ultimately, he embodies what God envisioned for Israel. Israel nationally never got close to living up to what God intended for them. But Jesus comes and he is, he is the perfect Israelite. And so that's why he is referred to as Israel here. So the Lord is speaking. You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now listen to this, verse four. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. We are getting here in this 49th chapter of Isaiah, we're getting here into the heart of Jesus during his ministry here on earth. And we're seeing into his own anguish at the rejection that he received by his people. And we don't think about that a lot of times with Jesus. We know that he was despised and rejected. And of course, Isaiah 53 tells us that. But here we get a little bit of insight into his own emotional response to that. And he says, this is his, I mean, think about this. This is the Lord's, it's hard to Think of Jesus like this, but this, remember, Jesus is a human being. He is both God and man simultaneously, but he's every bit a man 
as you are or as I am a, a human being. He's very, he's every bit as, as much a human being as we are. And so as a human being, he is going to have the same kinds of emotional experiences that we might have. We could understand any of us being discouraged, but sometimes we look at Jesus and we think, well, wait, Jesus couldn't be discouraged because he was Jesus. And, but the problem there is we're, all, we're just thinking of him exclusively in his divinity, and we cannot do that. We have to realize that, no, he has human emotions, feelings. He has all of those same things that, that we do. And so he expresses here his sense of having labored in vain. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. There's a point in the ministry of Jesus where he feels like he's failing. This isn't succeeding. He's, he's being rejected. But he says, and he strengthens himself with this, yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. You know, as I thought about this today, it just was... I mean, to think of Jesus and to think of his, I mean, here in a sense, his, his loneliness, his solitary position in that the whole world was against him with the exception of those few that had followed him. But basically the whole world, remember he comes as the savior of the nation, but the whole nation rejects him. And he has this sense of, feeling like his, his, his labor is in vain. But he encourages himself with, surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And I just think of how Jesus, he pressed into that intimacy with the Father at moments like this, that he would have to, in a sense, regroup himself and remember that I, this is between me and God. This is a work that I'm doing for my father. It's a heavy thought to think. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged as we're serving the Lord. And maybe we get discouraged because we're being misunderstood. People are, you know, attacking us. You know, they're against us in some way. We're we're trying to do our best and what we believe God has called us to do. And we've got opposition and, you know, times we can get discouraged. And I've known many people over the years who have thought, you know, I'm just going to quit. What's the point? Well, I'm not going to go on because nobody appreciates this. People are against me. They don't really believe in the work of God in my life or whatever they're expressing. Um, but, you know, at times like that, you have, to, you have to press into the Lord. You have to just remember, you know what? I'm, I'm doing this because God called me to do it. And in the end, I'm doing it for the Lord. And if no one ever thanks me for it. No one ever pats me on the back for it. No one ever agrees that I was called to do it. I just have to retreat back into this. My work is with the Lord. And that's what the Lord himself did here. And so as we go on in verse five, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, here's the mission, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. So you see, it's clear here that the mission of the Messiah is to restore Israel. So that makes it clear that it can't be Israel who is restoring Israel. It makes it clear that it is the Messiah being referred to as Israel here. So, but he says, 
for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, so here now is the father speaking to the son. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the nations. A light to the Gentiles, the word Gentiles just refers to the, to the nations in general outside of Israel, that you should by, be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So, wow, what a heavy thing. The Lord says, you know, it's, it's too light of a thing for you to just restore Israel. I'm gonna give you as a light to the nations, you're gonna be my salvation to the end of the earth. Such a powerful thing and a, and a wonderful thing. And thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises. So here again, the Father is discouraged. He's encouraging the Son who is discouraged. And what does he say? He's speaking to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors. When you see nations singular in the Old Testament, most of the time it's speaking of Israel. When you see people singular versus peoples, it's speaking of Israel. So this is a specific reference to the abhorrence of the nation toward the Savior. And then this is an astounding thing. And it was, it was the situation when Jesus was here. I mean, after all, they murdered him. That's, that was the treatment that he received from his own nation. And yet, ironically and, and tragically, that same kind of animus uh, still exist in the nation today toward Jesus. And, you know, if you go to Israel, of course, if you go as a tourist, you're very much welcomed and, you know, everybody treats you like royalty and it's wonderful that you're a Christian and all of that. But, you know, you take a minute and you seek to share the gospel with a Jewish person and you you get really quickly the sense of what people think of Jesus and you get it from the person you're trying to share with. But of course, they're even on a, on a government level, they will do all they can to prevent people from doing that sort of thing in the country. Thank God today there's a bit of a change happening um, over the past few years where there does seem to be a softening. But, but generally speaking, there's still an abhorrence, unfortunately, toward the Lord Jesus Christ by the Jewish population. And so to the, again, God's still speaking, to the servant of rulers. So the one who's despised, the nation abhors him. He's the servant of rulers. This is Philippians chapter two. This is who Christ Jesus, who although was by nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself and he took upon himself the form of a servant.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.